Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to the Love of Cinema, a picture house podcast proudly supported by Kia, powering independent cinema. On today's special edition of the podcast, a mini episode, a bonus episode, if you will, uh, we caught up with the fantastic writer and director Vim Vendors, one of my favourite filmmakers, I have to say, when he was in London uh, recently to talk about his brand new film, Perfect Days. Perfect Days is in cinemas right now, and when we were recording this, uh, Vim actually came to a preview at Picture House Central and did a Q&A and, uh, with an audience, a sold-out audience in the glorious uh, screen one, and we had a few minutes uh, just before he went on stage to talk about the film. So, uh, so yeah, this is our conversation with Vim Vendors, the legendary Vim Vendors. Please enjoy. Just a perfect day. Drink sangria in the park. And then later, when it gets dark, we go home. Uh, welcome to the Pitch House Podcast of Inventors. Lovely to be in this very nice hotel room with you today. Thank you, Sam. I, I love the library here in this hotel. And this is a beautiful, good old English place. Absolutely. And actually, there's lots of soft furnishings in here, listeners. So good for sound recording, too. <laughs> So I'm from Picture House Cinemas, um, and we're really excited to play Perfect Days in our venues. I, I was wondering, uh, do you, are you someone who gets the chance to go to the movies? Is that something you like to do uh, when you're not working? All the time. I don't do it when I'm editing, because I'm always scared when I'm editing to be too much influenced. But as soon as I'm finished, I go and see everything I missed. Uh, I'm so happy we can all go back to theaters. and I'm an ardent moviegoer, yeah. I think it's always the best place to watch a film, no matter what yeah. you're watching, just for the attention and the sound, of course. It's, it's really important. The other night I was in Paris, and it was 11. I was jet-lagged because I came from Los Angeles. I walked out into the little streets, and I realized there was a movie theater. There was a queue in front of it. It was almost midnight, and it was a late show, and it was a film I hadn't seen in 50 years. I'd seen it as a student and loved it, The Samurai with Alain Delon. So when it was sold out and I just had a tick I had a seat on the first row, which is fine with me. I love the first row, but it was such a surprise and that you would have a full theater at midnight. It was glorious. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I had the uh, the pleasure to see Perfect Days back in at the Cannes Film Festival in May last year, and I had uh, it, I really took me. I like Japanese culture a lot. I visited a number of times, and I like your films a lot. So it was a perfect coming together uh, there. But um, I enjoyed the film so much. I saw it again two days later. I was just like, I think I need to see it one more time. So I managed to go and find another screening. <laughs> and you got in. I got in. I joined a queue. It was a big it, queue. It wasn't easy in Cannes, yeah. What's it like for you as a filmmaker when you have your work premiering at a festival like Cannes? Is it a whirlwind or do you get a moment to sort of appreciate uh, that, you know, what's going on? It's so crucial if you make a film like this that could get unnoticed otherwise. And it's so crucial for art house movies and independent film to be exposed in a big festival because in the commercial world of theaters otherwise... Some gems might get unnoticed. Festivals are a great, a great door into mm. a more public life for smaller films. And Perfect Days is certainly not a blockbuster production. 
Not at all, but it got people talking, um, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> so I say I, I visited Tokyo a number of times, and I haven't been since the pandemic, so I've not got to experience the uh, sort of one of the core assets of the film, the, the new public toilets that have been installed in, in Tokyo. Uh, <laughs> you see, I just happened to be there, was invited to look at these toilets and see if they would inspire me. People knew how much I loved Tokyo. They knew my interest for architecture. So these 15 famous architects who normally build banks and museums had built the tiniest possible units for an architect, a public toilet. And I was asked to come and see if that would inspire me to possibly do little features on the architects and their creations. But it happened to be, when I was there in May the year before last, it happened to be when the Japanese came back out of the longest lockdown in history. After two years, the pandemic was just over. There were no foreigners because they still couldn't get in, but mm. we had a permit for a week. So it was a very privileged time to be back in Tokyo and to see how civilized and how gentle and how careful the Japanese took possession of their public places again and these toilets too and their parks and and everything, and that was the very opposite of what I'd witnessed in my own town of Berlin or in my own country or in Europe, where the pandemic had one big victim, which seemed to me the sense of the common good that was had really suffered in the pandemic, but not so in Japan. And I loved the way they treated this new freedom that, that was finally available for them again, and I thought this was the real subject of and this was why I'd really come to Japan to witness that. And I wanted to make a film about a man who took care of these toilets, but who would represent this sense of the common good and the sense of service and this respect for little things and also for beauty. So I suggested to make a film with a man who was a caretaker of these toilets. and thought I talked myself out of a good job, but instead they loved my idea and said, well, if you think it can be done, then we guess all you need is a good script and an actor. And I said, exactly. And that was the beginning of Perfect Days. Oh, wow. That uh, sounds like a nice you know, sort of uh, a happenstance, you know, um, going in with one for one reason, but coming out with, uh, you know, the, yeah. the, the project of making a feature Seeing film. Seeing there was this other potential was really beautiful. And and having the freedom to say it and and actually then this common sense of these people who had never produced a film before that but they liked the idea and they were able to invest they wanted to invest in a series of documentaries they had figured four times four days so when i said we with the same amount of time in 16 days we can do a real feature film and it will be so much better and it will be so it will also be better for these toilets if they appear in a story mm. because otherwise who's going to watch these featurettes except architecture aficionados and if you make a film and a story you might reach a very different audience so they understood my thinking and they agreed to it and they let me do they never looked over my shoulders i had I was a very free man in Tokyo with a l beautiful little crew and the greatest actor in the world. Absolutely, I, I totally uh, agree there. Um, 
the how do, how do you go as your co-writer on on the film as well uh, where did you start with the the, the sort of narrative and, and creating your character hiriyama with takuma takasaki who became my co-writer because i couldn't possibly write this on my own japanese character in tokyo i needed help to not make any blunders so we sat down and figured that a man who played a cleaning person for these toilets, a caretaker, he probably had a routine. And if we were going to show a couple of weeks of his life, that routine was the structure of the film. So we figured out that routine, and then we figured out that, well, after a while people would understand the routine, and you could shorten the routine and show rather things around it and show things that were different on one day to the other, you could take liberties and he would still be as dedicated but you would also see him do other things and have encounters with people and realize what life he was leading and that for him people were all alike and that he did this job as good as he could not for other people or not for but just strictly for himself mm. with sort of the spirit of a Japanese craftsman they do their very best with each of these things. They do again, or this is a bowl or whatever it is, or a clay pot or something made of wood. Each thing wants to be done as good as possible. And that's, thi that's their attitude. It. And our man cleans toilet with the same attitude. He feels good because he, he does his best. He does a good job, and he does a good job for people. And it's really nice yeah. early in the film seeing him interact with users of the toilets and... You know, yeah, how respectful he is. For him, everybody is the same, and he pays respect to each and every one of them. And he also pays respect to the homeless who is living next to the toilet, and he greets him with the same respect. He mustn't make any, he doesn't make any difference between people. I've really liked how the you expand on the character when you see his home life, and he has great respect for his physical objects too, and he has an amazing book and cassette uh, tape collection. And That's about all he has. Yeah, <laughs> but you can tell he's looking after these these he things. He <laughs> has decided. We probably lived a different life before. We don't know much, but we sense it that he has a privileged life before, and that he left it behind. And he's now living a rather minimalist life. There's not much in his apartment. There's the futon, and there's the cassette collection, and his music, and there's the bookshelf and that's about it <laughs> he doesn't need more and I encountered these young people in New York also in Berlin in other cities before the film there's quite a movement of people who try to minimize their positions and actually it's sort of a strange club and the idea is if you have more than that fits into a suitcase you own too much. So, and the beautiful thing is that all these young people who I met who follow this minimalism, they're all quite cool, calm, and collected, and they they all radiate a lot of contentness, and they know what they're living for, and they have a purpose, and, and I love that movement, and I gave some of that idea to my Hirayama. So, together with the actor on before we started shooting, we went into the apartment. We had found the apartment before. It was a beautiful, simple tatami room mm. in a little working class neighborhood with little houses. 
So in the art department had filled the place with their idea of what, how this man would live. So I went there with Koji and said, now I told you that Hirayama is a minimalist and that he only owns what he really needs. Don't you think this is way too full here? And he said, yeah, wait a minute. No, we can't shoot here. I mean, my character doesn't need all this. So we started to eliminate it, and, and the poor art department had to carry the whole truck back out <laughs> because we only needed the futon and the pillows and this cassette recorder with the cassette collection and the little shelf with all his pocketbooks. And he doesn't own more. Let's go somewhere new. See worlds we've never seen before, so that we can feel inspired. Whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars, inspiration comes when we feel something new. That's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. I love how it looks and how, because it's a tatami room, he can sleep on the futon with the low light sort of down and it's this multi-use space and it's very practical and I think it sort of says quite a lot about how the character lives. Yeah, and quite a content life and he has this beautiful ability to live in the moment and in the here and now and start every day from scratch and be happy about every day to see the light and to see the light of day and mm. so even if he lives a life of a routine there's a glorious joy in it and actually that routine sets him free he's an amazingly free man and you realize his routine is almost more like a ritual mm. it's almost more like a dedicated ritual each time he does something I, I sort of only got from the film that he you're showing he's enjoying his routine because he's also taking photos of it and he, he finds solace in his camera when I, I love that scene for two reasons one big photography fan but he I think he has the same camera that I carry around with me uh, or a similar one an Olympus sort of point-and-shoot camera which it's is a very a robust <laughs> uh, little camera that I love this will survive anything this camera is a similar one to this point-and-shoot you can open it with one hand you mm. can shoot out of the hip you can shoot from the hip it's a beautiful camera and he has it he probably had it from his former life and he found it and decided that's the one thing i want to keep but it's interesting that he every week he has one film of 20 exposures and he mm. shoots them in the course of the week and then he gives the film to develop and gets back his prints from the last week and that's all he has one new film buys one new film and that's enough for next week just as well as he finishes his book by the weekend and he buys one more he doesn't buy a stack of book even if they're just a dollar mm. a piece because he buys the used the used books realizing that there's still the same stuff in the book if it's used or not used mm. so he loves his minimalism and he's very happy this way and uh, it's, it's brought to the, you know, the character of Here I Am is brought to life by such a wonderful performance and it was so nice in Cannes, you know, the film got the Best Actor Award, very, <laughs> very well deserved. How did you go about casting uh, the character of Here I Am? There was never an alternative. When the idea was up to write a story about a caretaker and all we needed was, all we needed 
was a good actor, I said, well, can we ask Koji Akusho? I had seen him in countless films. I love this man. My first encounter with him was the little movie Shall We Dance. Not the remake in Hollywood, the Richard Gere one, but the original, that's Koji Akusho. And uh, I have a very special relationship to the film because the Vendors family together goes out for Christmas movie every year. Three generations. By now, I'm the oldest generation, but when we started the tradition, I was the middle generation. So, but it was always up to me because I was a film director to choose the film. <laughs> and most of the years, it was a disaster because you cannot find movies for kids and adolescents and the young generation and the older. You can't. And somebody's always unhappy. And the only year when it was a full success, when each and everybody was glowing after the film was when we s when I showed them Shall We Dance. So I knew this actor had something very special going. I saw other films of his, Tampoco and Babel, and well, everything he's done, and he was always good. And I realized more and more he was especially good and expressive with his eyes. And that was a man, you would always follow his eyes, and as I figured he wasn't going to talk too much in the film, Al Hirayama, it was even more important that we would see through his eyes and we see what he sees and we'd follow him and he'd take us into his life. So eyes were so important and I knew Koji Akusho was the ultimate actor for this part. So the next day, my Japanese producers and friends came back and said, uh, it was so much easier than we thought. We finally got Koji Akusho on the phone and, and said, Menace is going to make a movie, but there's no script yet. And he interrupted us right away and says, if Vim wants to do a film here with me, I'm in. Just count me in. Wow. So I could sh I could write the script really with him in mind. Mm. And Takuma and I couldn't have been happier than because we knew the character when we wrote it, and we wrote it strictly for Koji Akusha. And he made so much out of it. I mean, he surpassed our wildest dreams. That must have been yeah, such a gift as a writer to have your actor in mind and you know, thinking about him. There's nothing write. better. It's a painful act. The act of casting somebody once you have a script, that is a very painful act. And I do not like it at all. It's so much better if you can write for somebody. But he's so good at reacting to people and often the characters he interacts with are you know, just because of his nature, they're a bit louder than him, a bit more larger than life. And he's so good at you know looking and reacting and... Put yeah. saying something at the perfect moment. <laughs> when he says something, but he's, he's, he's not interested in small talk, so he just says when he thinks it's necessary. But he can also be engaged in a conversation, as we realize later in the film, if he likes the person, if he likes what they're talking about. I, uh, when I was watching the film, it reminded me so much of being in Japan. I think you've really captured the, the look of Tokyo, I, even like the clear skies. Like Tokyo has the that that particular blue sky which uh, you don't often see and it looks so good against the concrete and the skyscrapers in london we rarely see blue skies so also a, a, a treat but um the, I, I loved the, the square the one three three to one aspect ratio uh, i was wondering what your conversations were with your your dop uh, franz lustig well we knew the apartment that he was living in the little tatami room 
And we realized in widescreen, let alone CinemaScope, we're never even going to see the floor <laughs> or the futon. And we kn knew the toilets, the 15 of them, and we knew some of them were small. I mean, they were kind of luxurious, but they're still relatively small places. And if he was going to clean the floors and everything, we realized for all these locations, this old-fashioned 3 by 4 uh, film format like silent movies or like all of Ozu's movies that was ideal for that to see the space as well and it fitted his character too and so we never regretted and it's a beautiful format I got very used to it it's almost a forgotten format but it's a different way it's a different window into the world and it feels it felt very organic plus the chip of the camera is that format, so you really use the entire resolution mm. of your camera. It is, it felt so natural. It's incredibly crisp on a cinema screen, yeah. which I, I love seeing because you do see all the detail, especially yeah. in the landscapes that you show. Yeah, totally. We never regretted. We followed Hirayama's guidelines, and as he was living such a life of minimalism, and as he only owned the essentials, we realized we couldn't make a film with plenty of tools mm. so Franz my DOP and I also reduced our means and took everything all the slack out we took out this the tracks and the dolly and the crane and the gimbal and the steady cam whatever and we just ended making the film with a man holding a camera on his shoulder and that was a good decision because it gave it a, s a little bit of feel of a documentary and and we were very fast and very flexible and and could shoot the film. We had 16 days with Koji and one day without him. And we really had to shoot fast and furious. And But I love that. I love I love if you're in the story and if you don't have all these all these waiting times and down times and if the actor is not going all the way to his uh, every after each take back to his trailer. But if everybody who works on the story, the actor and the camera crew, if we're just on the set and we keep shooting. And mm. actors love that, to stay in character and to continue shooting and not having a break and two hours later again get up for another five seconds of mm. shoot, but to just be be on the roll. 16 days shooting it kind of blows my mind for a feature film. And this is a two-hour sort of feature film. This is a full movie. Yeah. <laughs> It can be done if you... Reduction is the key. Mm. We didn't have all that many locations. We couldn't spend too much time driving between locations if you have 16 days. So luckily the toilets are all in the same area in Shibuya. The rest we shot in his car and mm. in his little neighborhood where he lives and where everything was walking distance. It feels very efficient and very much like your character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We took all our we took our guidelines from his philosophy or from his way of living. One of the things I think audiences are talking about about the film is the the songs used in the movie, and I was just wondering how you selected what songs you were gonna. I assume you wrote the songs into the script, so you, you had to know early on what was going to be played. We realized if he, if our man wasn't talking so much, and if we slowly got involved in his life. The music that he selected when he was driving to work and driving home 
was important, especially as he just didn't play anything random. He chose something. So we felt, Takuma and I, that it was important that we put the songs into the script because they were part of the storytelling. And we realized, well, these old cassettes and his old cassette recorders, they were probably in a basement when he was become a businessman because they are the cassettes and the music from his time when he was young, when he was in his 20s, in the 70s, therefore. So we realized it would be good to, to he dug out his cassettes and just like his books and his camera, he does only need what he's actually listening to and he loved that music and realized that was the only music he really cared for was the music when he was young. So that's all he needed and it was important to have the music on the set and actually play it while we were shooting and not mm. do it afterwards. So the music was part of the scenes and we played those songs, we put them in the script in the first place and then we played them in the songs and that was very helpful for the character and that made the music a real character in itself in the film. Absolutely. It's uh, it's the yeah, sort of it, you leave the cinema wanting to hear more and look up the track <laughs> list uh, and play. And I've definitely been playing the Kinks and the Stones and Patti Smith since. <laughs> I think we need to wrap up there. But um, thank you so much for talking to us today, Vim, and, and thank you for this wonderful film. Thank you, Sam. Uh, the pleasure was mine. I must say, the film was felt like a huge gift to me too. Um, I'm going to. I think you're doing a Q and A at one of our cinemas tonight, Pitch Our Central, and I will be in the audience, maybe in the front row, anyway, uh, to watch it one more time. I will look out for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Maybe you have another question. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, Sam. <laughs>